On Wednesday, the 26th of August, the Milwaukee Bucks refused to take the floor for their Game 5 matchup against the Orlando Magic. The players did so in protest following the shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake, by a white police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The Bucks' decision was shortly followed by the Rockets, the Thunder, the Lakers and the Blazers, and each of the WNBA teams scheduled to play that evening. This led the WNBA and the NBA to postpone its playoff matches and hold a meeting to decide whether to continue the season. The players opted to do so and the NBA resumed play on Saturday night. While the season eventually continued, it must be noted that this was an unprecedented set of protests. The players came together to put aside basketball and target a bigger issue, continued police brutality against black people and broader racial injustice in society. Yes, it is nice that the sport is back, but we cannot forget the reason why it was postponed in the first place. This is clearly an issue weighing heavily on the minds of these guys and for good reason. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Jamal Murray after his epic Game 6 performance in this post-game interview. You have a picture of George Floyd on your right shoe here. You've got Bianca Taylor. Why has why this been so personal for you, Jamal? Because it's not just in America. It happens everywhere. And uh, for us to come together at NBA, and, you know, it doesn't take one meeting. It takes a couple meetings, a few meetings. It takes phone calls. It takes persistence. It's not going to take one night. And we've been doing, trying to fight for 400 years. But these shoes give me life. Even though these people are gone, they give me life. They, give me, uh, they help me find strength to keep fighting this world. So look, let's enjoy what these athletes are bringing to the court. But let's also not forget the struggles which are taking place off the court. beautiful people you are listening to the voice of David Odejai I'm the host of the Half Court Hustle and it's been it's been a heavy week it's been an emotional week a lot of things have happened both on the court and off the court which has given a lot of people pause for thought it's been a rough year it's been a difficult year um, but you know I am just hoping that us having the time to focus on basketball for a little bit will not ease the pain I don't know if anything can ease the pain of this year, man, but I'm just rambling at this point. The first thing that I want to say is rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, You are a fighter. You are a true superhero in every sense of the word. And seeing your portrayal of King T'Challa, the Black Panther, on that screen in 2018, that really brought joy to my life in that year. And I just want to say rest in power, King. Okay, on to the games. The first matchup we have got the Celtics taking on the Raptors on Sunday night in game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's get it. And unfortunately, that intro is probably a lot more energy than that matchup deserves. I was looking forward to this series, man. I've been looking forward to this series. I think this is the most 
anticipated matchup for me in the, the Eastern Conference. You know, you've got a hungry Toronto team who've been slept on all season. This is like a, this team's been to the championship. Yes, they lost their best player, but they've been disrespected all season, despite them being one of the better teams in the league. So you know that they're going to come out gunning, or at least they should have come out gunning, wanting to prove themselves. Uh, and really to prove to all of the doubters that they indeed have that championship medal. You've also got a Celtics team that is stacked with talented wings, defensive players who are able to switch on the fly, high IQ basketball, Jason Tatum, the emerging star, like so much going for this Celtics team who are looking, mm, they're looking spicy at the moment. This has all the making of a classic series, but unfortunately, game one was just not much to write home about. The Celtics led the game pretty much wire to wire in a very comfortable victory over the Raptors. Heroes of the box score. Each of the Celtics three stars, Tatum, Brown, Kemba, came out to play. Tatum had 21 points off a 50% shooting. Kemba Walker, playing in his first ever second round series, he had a decent night with 18 points. Jalen Brown didn't have the best shooting night in the world, but he added 17 to the mix. So good performances all round from the Celtics three-headed dragon there. Marcus Smart in particular deserves special mention here. Not only did he put in 21 points on 60% shooting, including five of nine from the three-point line, but he was a defensive menace. And that's standard for him. The, the guy is a truly special defensive player. Extra high IQ. And it doesn't seem to matter. Like if you're, if you're a big man and you're being guarded by Marcus Smart, he's just able to negate your size advantage because he's got, he's got his level of strength, his level of positioning, his basketball IQ just seems to erase that advantage. And both Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka found that out the hard way in this game. The Raptors just had, they, the Raptors had nothing going for them in this game. They shot poorly every single individual on that roster shot terribly this evening 36 percent from the field overall Kyle Lowry was the leading scorer with 17 points Pascal Siakam complete non-factor in this game couldn't get anything going and he's been struggling he's been struggling throughout um he struggled throughout the first round against Brooklyn he was shooting 40 maybe 41 percent from the field and in this game he missed a couple of easy layups as well so he's not doing himself any favors Fred Van Vliet going two of 11 from the three-point line didn't help either yikes we need my guy to come back and have another baby or something because boy uh, he's he's uh he's looking cold at the moment I'm sure he'll heat up as the series goes on as will the rest of the Raptors but Jesus the Celtics defense was clicking for most of the evening. The, the The Raptors missed a lot of shots, that is true. They did shoot badly in this game, but it's not like the majority of the looks that they were getting were wide open. They were just overmatched by this Celtics defense. And the Celtics, they did it in part by holding the Raptors to only seven fast break points. And that's an area that the Raptors usually dominate in. The Celtics, they got back on defense, they picked up their men, they communicated well. Everything that you expect from a well-oiled, well-drilled Brad Stevens team. Pretty good sign for Boston is that they were able to get it done offensively, even though they didn't have the best shooting night. 
So that first quarter, actually, where they played really well, they dropped 39 points. And I believe Jason Tatum didn't get onto the scoreboard until maybe one or two minutes left in the quarter. So the Celtics were clicking as a team, even though Tatum didn't really have it going at that point. Um, And yeah, they didn't really need him to do much in order to get off. The Raptors defense really couldn't find its feet. Like, Boston are just... I'm looking at this Boston team, and they just seem to be a bit of a matchup nightmare, especially when they decide to go small. There have been a couple of possessions where Mark Gasol... And I'm going to pick on Mark Gasol in particular. Sorry, big man. Former Defensive Player of the Year. Got to see more from you, because there are a couple of moments where he got absolutely torched. And listen, I'm not expecting man to be able to move around on the floor as if he's Giannis. That's, that's not what I'm expecting here. But big man, at least try and move your feet. At least try and move your feet. So he he just got torched in the perimeter because he was too slow-footed. And if you're playing Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka at the same time, it's a little bit of a problem on that end because you can take advantage of them in pick and rolls and they're just not fast enough to contain the ball handler. Um, so that, that will cause some issues. Give Nick Nurse credit. He did try and make adjustments. Uh, the Raptors went to a zone at some point in the second quarter and that seemed to slow the Celtics down a little bit. But then the Celtics, they made adjustments. They, they had they seemed to have an answer for everything that the Raptors were throwing at them. And once they pulled away, they did not look back. So look, my, my rule, and it really is my golden rule, is that you never, never overreact to a bad game one performance. It happens. It happens. And the Raptors are notable for having bad game ones. I'm, th- I'm thinking about last year where they lost game one of their opening series against the Magic. Um, that game where they allowed, who was it? Jameer Nelson? Am I tripping? Was it Maybe it was Jameer Nelson. I th- I'm pretty sure it was Jameer Nelson. Allowed him to, no, it wasn't Jameer Nelson. Who was it? It was DJ Augustin. They allowed DJ Augustin to go off in that game. Jameer Nelson, man's out here thinking it's 2009 or something. Nah, that was a throwback. But, you know, the point is the Raptors have had bad game ones in the past. And listen, you know, not to jinx it or anything, but looking at last year, uh, Celtics took game one from the box and we all know what happened there. We all know what happened there. So listen, I'm not one for overreacting to game one. That's a rule of mine. It's a rule that I think other people around uh, the basketball uh twitter sphere could learn a little bit from yeah i'm looking at you espn where you guys were saying that the lakers were going to lose to the blazers because they had a bad game one or that the bucks needed to panic because they had a bad game one against the magic they went swept the series in five i call that the fake news sweep anyway i won't get too much into that but um the raptors shot 25 percent from three in this game and if you're the Celtics, look, you, you're not going to be able to rely on the Raptors shooting that badly from three every single night. Like, you know, Kyle Lowry's going to heat up. You know, Fred Van Vliet's going to heat up. The one thing that is probably given a lot of Raptors fans pause for the time being is the fact that these Pascal Siakam struggles, they're going to need to go away soon because he's not had anything going for him this entire playoffs. Um, and then add that to the fact that actually the Celtics didn't need to be firing on all cylinders offensively in order to beat this Raptors team quite comfortably. You know, that that doesn't bode well. Um, So I can imagine there are a lot of uh, 
enough nervous fans in, in Toronto. They're really going to need this team to step it up in, in game two if they're going to have a chance to make this a competitive series. I have no doubt that they'll come out swinging next game, but they, they really need to bring it. Next matchup, we've got the Clippers, game six of their round one series, closing out the Dallas Mavericks, 111 to 94, uh, advancing to the second round and looking to play the winner of whoever comes out of that pretty close Utah Denver series. You know what? I'm sad that this series didn't go to seven games. Like, you know, this series has brought us some incredible playoff performances, some really dramatic moments, and, you know, probably the, the single greatest moment in this playoff so far, that Luca buzzer beater in game four. So, you know, shame that it, it had to end, you know, early, because let me tell you, I wouldn't mind seeing like a Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard duel every year, because they really, both of them really threw it down, had amazing series, amazing series. Heroes of the box score and really heroes of the series. Kawhi Leonard, like, I, I run out of superlatives for this guy. Like, I don't know, you could call him the silent assassin, you can call him a robot, you can call him whatever you want. This guy is just so consistent, it's scary. He does it every night and he makes it look effortless. So this evening, 33 points. 14 rebounds, 7 assists, and 5 steals. That's an incredible stat line. And in fact, the only other person to have 30 plus points, uh, 10 plus rebounds, 5 plus assists, and 5 plus steals in the playoffs, the only other person to have that particular stat line is, yeah, you guessed it, Michael Jeffrey Jordan himself. Like, well, that, you, 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 you want to talk about esteemed company. This guy's game, it's so... It's not flashy. It just kind of creeps up on you. He'll he'll get the ball and he's like, listen, I'm getting to that elbow. I'm going to shoot from that mid-range jumper. There is not a damn thing you can do to stop me. Not a damn thing you can do to stop me. He'll get to that spot. He'll shoot his shot and he'll make it. He has made, Kawhi Leonard has made over 70% of his mid-range shots in this series. That's that's beyond insane efficiency. They say that the mid-range game is dead. Nah, man. Look, somebody tell that to Kawhi. 70% on his mid-range shots. Mad. Luka Doncic, take a bow. Like, this guy, bear in mind, my guy's 21 years old. This is his first ever playoff series. And listen, you know, he, he's, he's young, but he's not a small boy. He was out there dominating in Spain. He was out there dominating Eurobasket. I get it. I get it. But rah, this is, you know, first NBA playoff series. You know, maybe a little bit of pressure, maybe a little bit of inexperience. Nope. Just came in, putting the team on his back night after night, putting up incredible performances night after night, doing it with a bad ankle, just absolutely showing. And I, I said it um, in that episode after I reacted to his performance in game four. He's not the future of this league. Stop calling this guy the future. My man is here now. He's putting together amazing performances now. So, you know, we, we've got to recognize that. Um, Luka Doncic, 38 points, nine rebounds and nine assists. He's averaged close to a 30-point triple-double in this series, man. 
And there were points in this game where, like, he was just, it was the Luka Doncic show. He, like, put his team on his back and he did his best to, bring, like, drag the Mavericks back into this game, hitting ridiculous shots, slicing his way through the defense. Um, and this guy's game is is just, it's, it's such a joy to watch. He's not, like, a jump-out-the-gym athlete, but he's just got so much, he's got so much strength and he's got such good movement and footwork. Like, the way this guy kind of, like, snakes his way to the basket is really something to behold. Because, again, almost like Kawhi in that he's like, you know, this is where I want to get to on the floor. There's not a damn thing you can do to stop me. He's just he's just going to get there. It doesn't matter if you're faster than him. Because he, he's he's probably stronger than you are. And he's going to get to his spot on the floor. Um, and that's before I even get to his, like, amazing passing vision, like... The way that this guy is able to take on a scoring load and make the guys around him better, that's a special player, man. Like, what you are seeing from this guy is the real deal. Uh, Paul George had himself an okay night with 15 points. Not quite the 35-point comeback we saw in Game 5, but definitely better than the near-invisible performances that we had seen from him earlier in the series. Zubac and Reggie Jackson added 15 points and 14 points, respectively. Um, Mavericks in general, terrible night from three, shooting less than 30% from deep. Tim Hardaway Jr. shot two of 11 from the three-point line, which was terrible. Probably the, well, definitely the worst game he's had. And such a shame because Tim Hardaway Jr. has been playing really, really well in this series. Like, I've been impressed with his shot-making ability and he's really stepped up to fill that scoring gap which uh, Porzingis left when he um, went down with his injury. So it's unfortunate to see him go out like that. But, you know, shooters, shooters shoot. That's what they do. Sometimes they're hot. Sometimes they're cold. And Tim Hardaway was ice cold in this game. Could not hit the side of the barn. It was a close game, especially in the first half. The Mavs offense kept pace with the Clippers quite well. Um, we had a bit of drama. Luca and who else? Marcus Morris early on. In that second quarter, Marcus Morris fouled Luka Doncic with a hard foul. Uh, basically, it was a karate chop swing to the neck. Like, and I've, I've seen people saying that, oh, he went for the ball, he got the ball. Da, da. No. Like the definition of a flagrant foul is unnecessary contact. And damn near everything about what Morris did was unnecessary. He definitely deserved to get ejected. There is no question about it. That was a horrible play. And at that point, Morris was the Morris was the leading scorer on his team. To have that, you know, to, to, to be in a position where your team is counting on you to make a, a big contribution and you go off slap somebody in the neck and get tossed. Sorry, I gotta say it, bro. That's clownish behavior. Fix up, man. Fix up. At the start of the third quarter, the Mavs imploded. Absolutely imploded. They were it was a close game up to the half, but Mavs came out looking dead. I don't know what happened in that locker room, but they could not hit a bucket. They looked lethargic. They were down 20 at one point because the clips jumped out to a 17 to 3 run 
at one point the Mavericks had missed 13 three-pointers in a row and they were down 20 points in the middle of that third quarter and I think I tweeted yo where's the energy from this team where's the urgency from this team this is game six this is game six you got a chance to take it to the Clippers who knows what happens in the game seven but bruv you got to win this game where is the urgency and somewhere like that message must have like traveled in the cosmos and and lodged itself in Luca's ear because you know like almost maybe two or three minutes after I tweeted that uh the Mavs came out and they 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 had this energy about them Luca hit a couple of big threes you know he was slicing his way to the basket and that seemed to give the Mavs like a big energy boost they start playing well on defense um and they fought their way back to a six-point deficit early in that fourth quarter, you know, really, really making a game of it. But in that fourth, they just couldn't, they just couldn't close it. They just couldn't close it. Why? Because Kawhi Leonard, this guy comes out and dismantles the Mavericks with his mid-range game. Just And there were, there were points where he wouldn't even dribble. He just received the ball. He stood there for like a couple of seconds, rose up and shoot it. Swish. Didn't seem to matter who was guarding him. Kawhi was going to make that shot regardless. And yeah, Clippers close out. And what a hell of a series. What a hell of a series. And I know, look, it's a disappointment for Luka Doncic and the Mavs. But that team put in a great showing. Especially without his second best player. Like, they were missing Porzingis for a lot of this series. And the best player that was on the floor was basically injured for most of it, you know? Um, so look, the Mavs have an impressive range of talent. I'm looking at Luka. I'm looking at KP. Looking at Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, like you've got some good pieces there. And I'm thinking, just just one more. One more uh, a high quality, uh, second or third option. We're looking at like a, maybe a, a, Brad, a Bradley Beal would be amazing. Imagine Bradley Beal heading to the Mavericks. He might have to bump Trey Burke down the rotation a little bit, but he, that's fine. So if if they can land themselves a big fish in free agency, which... I think should definitely be possible. I mean, who wouldn't want to pay with Luca right now? Like, given what this kid has shown that he's able to do, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking that they could find themselves being cementing themselves as a legitimate title contender. For now, good night, Dallas. Have fun fishing. Last, but definitely not least, the Denver Nuggets take it to the Utah Jazz, winning game six, 119 to 97 and forcing a game seven in this amazing series. Wow, this series has been all offense, all the time. We've seen some crazy competitive games. We've seen some crazy blowouts. You've seen some individual heroics. Like this, this series has given us, this series has given us everything really. But by far the best part of this series and one of the best things about this playoffs in general, that incredible duel between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, they just seem to take turns to have incredible quarters where, you know, it's like, all right, it's, it's my turn to score 20 in a quarter. Okay, my turn to hit back-to-back threes. It's, it's just amazing watching these guys go at each other. Both players made history by being the first opposing players to score 50 points in the same game in that game four nail-biter. Murray himself joined Donovan Mitchell 
as being the only player in history, apart from Allen Iverson, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, to have multiple 50-point games in the same series. Like both Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell in this series joined MJ and Allen Iverson. Like, it's been really something to see Murray and Mitchell emerge with that superstar play because it it's not just the case of them putting up high numbers with high volume. They've been efficient in doing it as well. So look, it's only fitting to see this game go to seven. Who's going to win this one? Who knows? Denver struggled with Utah in that first quarter. They were playing a drop coverage on the pick and rolls. They couldn't really get out and contest the shooters. And Utah started hot. They hit the first of their seven shots. They were seven of seven from the field to start out. Once Denver's defense got it going, including some nice contributions from Gary Harris on that end, Denver started to pull away. And they had an amazing first half offensively, shooting 65%. But Donovan Mitchell, coming back in the third quarter, fighting Utah back into this game. He had a hell of a he had a hell of a third quarter to narrow the lead to three. But Jamal Murray in that fourth quarter coming back and just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot down the stretch to stop Utah from building any kind of momentum. And he had that dagger to put uh, Denver up by 11 uh, with less than two minutes to go in this one. End of the game. And yeah, bro, this one is going to seven and it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight. And I honestly couldn't give you a prediction if I tried I might as well flip a coin it's going to be tight but I think it's going to come down to number one which of these teams can actually get a handle on its perimeter defense who's going to be better at closing out shooters and making sure that you know those star guards aren't able to do their thing and the second I think it's just going to come down to you know which of which of Murray or Mitchell is going to have the better performance and who knows, man? I'm excited. That game is going to be Wednesday night. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to tune in, uh, depending on the time. i got work in the morning, so I can't necessarily stay up until 3.30 a.m. But listen, I'm going to be watching that game in some shape or form. I'm excited for it. I cannot wait. Um, and that is that, people. That is that. So it's been it's been a heavy week. It's been a heavy week. So look, it's been good to have some basketball to focus on. And I am happy to see that the quality of play in the bubble has continued to be stellar. There are some fantastic matchups to look forward to in this playoffs. But until then, have a lovely week, people. See you later.